So all of this family talk has been great, but you don't understand my family. For some of us, we feel like there's no way back. Today, we are going to learn how far God will go to restore a broken family. All right. Uh, Aaron, reach in, grab, grab any card you want. All right, uh, show it to everybody, I won't look. Okay, here's what I want you to do is uh, take your card, put it on top, and then take your thumbprint and put your thumbprint, yeah, just right on there, just like you're down at the police department. Yeah, you've been there. Huh? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, uh, Aaron, let's, let's do this. Is I'm gonna try to narrow it down to a few cards that I think might be yours. If you see your card in here, don't give me any hints or clues, okay? okay. So hold out one hand for me. So no hints, no clues. Uh, was this it? No. That's a big hint, that's a big hint. <laughs> no, okay, okay. <laughs> no more <laughs> hints or clues. Uh, that one has a... A little smudge on it, but no, I don't think that's it. Uh, no. Oh yeah, look. No, that's. Thank you. You shuffled up that one. Okay, I'm gonna go with this card here. Uh, was that your card? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Dude. Wait, no, 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 no. Wait, no, no. It, go ahead, look. It wasn't there. Look. I, we, you... No, it's not, it's not in here. No, he, I saw he it. He put it in here, and the, and he, he was holding that, and it was an ace, and it was red. And, and then it went up in the air, and it was not. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. It was not. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No strings attached. It's so good to see you guys this weekend as we wrap up this series. We've been talking about House of Cards, the illusion of a perfect family, and it's an illusion because none of us have a perfect family, and we have covered a lot in this series. We've talked about marriage and why it's so important to God. We've talked about how to restore marriages. We've talked about intimacy. We've talked about parenting. We've talked about singles. We've talked about so much in this series, but we're wrapping it up this weekend, and I want to wrap it up by have, answering this question. How do we go from being a hurting family to being a healthy family. Right, let me put it another way. How do we go from being a broken family, maybe you hear your, your, you feel like your family's broken or your marriage is broken, how do you go from broken to restored? And I wanna do this by looking at a very, very familiar story in the Bible about a broken family. It's in Luke chapter 15, maybe the most familiar story in the entire Bible. It's the story of the prodigal son. And uh, Just in case you don't know the story of the prodigal son, let me give you the Reader's Digest version. It's about a young man who comes to his father who wants his inheritance because he's kind of tired of daddy, tired of living under the rules, wants to do life on his own. And he takes off and it's a train wreck. And he finally hits rock bottom. In fact, it says he comes to his senses. But here's the big question. Will daddy let me come back home? 
So I'm just going to leave it hanging right there. But that's what we're going to be talking about as we look at that family this weekend. And I want to show you four stages that we all go through to go from hurting to healthy. By the way, the, the story of the prodigal son is such a great story. In January, I'm actually doing a four-week series on just the prodigal son. But you're going to get the little bit shorter version of it this weekend. Now, I wanted to keep this simple because I wanted to give you four stages of restoring your family, restoring those relationships that you can remember. Let me just give you the first stage and we'll begin to unpack it. You determine where you are on this journey. The first stage is the give me stage. And this is where we all start. Babies start out in the give me stage. Uh, spiritual babies, brand new Christians start out in the give me stage. Marriages and families start out in the give me stage. And let me show it to you in the story of the prodigal son. It begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now remember that phrase. It's going to come into play later on. But just let me say this again. Every one of us begins in the give me stage. Babies begin in the give me stage. You know, give me my bottle. Give me my blanket. Give me my pacifier. Give me a place to sleep. Cuddle with me. But they begin in, the, in, in, in that give me stage. But we also begin there spiritually. I mean, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you got to be born again, John chapter 3. So we're born again spiritually. We begin there spiritually. And most of us, if we were honest, we would admit that. We would admit that we became Christians out of selfishness, including me. See, I didn't become a Christian because when I was five, I decided I wanted to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. No, I didn't want to go to hell. That's why I, that's why I became a Christian. It was all about me. You may be here this weekend and you decided I, you're going to follow Jesus because you'd made a big mess of your life and you, you wanted him to clean up the mess that you'd made of your life. But my point is simply this. Most of us didn't become Christians. Most of us didn't decide to follow Jesus so that we could do something for God. We became Christians so God could do something for us. It's that give me stage. And guess what? It begins the same way in our marriages. All marriages begin in the give me stage. You know, the husband wants the wife to meet his needs. The wife wants the husband to meet her needs. And, and there are some needs that God designed for a husband to meet in the life of his wife. And there are some needs that God designed a wife to meet in the life of her husband. But you got to understand there are some needs in our lives that only God is going to be able to meet. And if you get married and you're looking for your spouse to meet some need in your life that only God can meet, you're, you're just going to be married and you're going to be disappointed a whole lot. But we all start in the give me stage. Laura and I, we have seven grandchildren. We love our grandchildren. We love hanging out with them. They spend a night at our house a lot. In fact, we just took a whole week and kept our 18-month-old grandson and his sister, who's almost six years old. And one thing I realized when you have grandchildren, uh, uh, you never get to do what you want to do. Amen. They want to do what they want to do. Like the whole week we had them, not one morning they get up and say, Papa, what do you want to do today? No, they tell me what they want to do. They tell me what they want to watch. I watched every episode there is of Baby Bum, okay? 1,429 times over and over and over again. But see, they're in the give me stage, but we all begin in that stage. Now, here's the second stage. It's the allow me stage. It's allow me to be significant. Now, if you were here the first week of the series, we talked about when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there were some spiritual uh, genetic tendencies that have been passed down to all of us. Remember what they were? It was shame. Remember they were naked and they were ashamed. It was because of sin. They had never experienced shame before. Today, we still deal with shame. 
And then there was blame. You know, Adam said, hey, the woman you gave me, God, he's blaming God. She said, yeah, the devil made me do it. You know, it was a serpent. But nobody was taking responsibility, so there was blame. And we still do that today. We don't like to accept responsibility. But then the third one was fame. And you remember when we talked about fame, it's this idea, I want to be known. I want to come out on top. I want to be significant. Let me try to explain it this way. We say, give me because of our selfishness. We say, allow me because of our selfish ambition. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in other words, instead, in humility, value others above yourself. What's interesting is the Greek term here translated selfish ambition is actually only one Greek word. The New Testament was written Greek, it's just one word. It appears seven different times in the New Testament, but this is what I want you to understand about ambition. When the Bible talks about ambition, it always includes the word selfish as a part of it. And the biblical definition of selfish ambition is self-seeking, is self-promoting. And just so you know, we're all born with that. I mean, we always go from the give me stage to the allow me stage. And in our relationships, it's often like, I need you to allow me to be significant. I'm telling you, we see this in marriage all the time. I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. Most of it centers around, he's not meeting my needs. She's not meeting my needs. He's not making me happy. She's not making me happy. And often when you realize that you're not going to find that fulfillment that you thought you were going to find in your spouse, or that you're not going to have your needs met by your spouse, or you're not going to experience the happiness you thought you were going to get out of getting married, you begin to think, wow, maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. I need to do something to feel important. I need to do something to feel significant. I need to do something to feel happy. By the way, just so you know, this is often when divorce occurs. You're not making me happy. I need you to allow me to do something that can make me happy, that can make me feel fulfilled. But you got to understand Happiness never ever comes from something. It never comes from doing something. Happiness comes from someone, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you can see this in the story of the prodigal son, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together. Remember, he just asked his dad for his share of the inheritance. He got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Literally, the Greek word is prodigal. It means an immoral lifestyle. In other words, he asked the father to allow him to do something that deep down inside he's thinking, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be cool. This is going to make me happy. And we watch the people around us in our lives, whether it's at neighborhoods, whether it's at work, whether it's where we play, we watch people go through the same stage all the time. I mean, how many times have we heard someone say, my spouse isn't meeting my needs? I got to figure out a way to meet my needs. They're not making me happy. I got to figure out how to be happy. But as I told you before, God did not create marriage to make you happy. And some of you are thinking, it's working. (laughs) God actually created marriage to kill you. I love telling you people that. And some of you are thinking, it's a slow death, but it's working. Let me put it another way. God did create marriage to ultimately make us happy. 
But God knew the only way we could ever be happy is if we could get to the place where we could die to self. We could put to death selfish ambition. So think of it this way. When God created Adam, he was thinking, what am I going to do to get him to die to himself? Hmm. And then God's like, light bulb goes on. I got it. I'll have him live with someone. Now here's the key part. Of the opposite sex. That should do it. That should kill him. You know? And then I need her to die to herself. And so if living with him doesn't kill her, I'll give him children. That should kill both of them. Right? (laughs) But understand... Every one of us, we all go from the give me stage, give me, give me, give me, what can I get out of this, to the allow me stage, I'm not feeling important, I'm not feeling significant. Now here's the third stage, search me. Now here's, this is what's cool about the search me stage. When you get to the search me stage, you're starting to grow up. You're starting to mature as a Christian. Luke chapter 15, verse 17, remember, I told you he went out on his own, one day he went to the ATM, you know, insufficient funds, ends up a Jewish young man sitting in a pigsty, eating the leftover from the pigs. And I'm sure he leaned up against the fence post one day, and it says, when he came to his senses. You know what that tells me? Anytime you walk away from a loving father, you're temporarily insane. When he came to his senses, let me say it another way. When he began to search his own heart. When he began to look inside. See, now he's in the search me stage. This is what David said in Psalm chapter 139, verse 23. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. That's David's way of saying, see if there's anything in my life that's going on that I need to deal with. This is the search me stage. This is the stage, see, when I stop focusing on what is wrong with Laura and I start focusing on what's wrong with me. This is when you stop focusing on what is wrong with my kids and you start focusing on what is wrong with me. This is what I've learned over the years teaching on relationships, especially when we do series on family relationships. A lot of you have been sitting here over the past few weeks and this is what you've been thinking as I've been teaching. Way to go, Mike. Let him have it. Or way to go, Mike. Fix her. Fix her. You know, I got it here. You you, you fix her. Can I be blunt? If that's what you've been thinking, if that's what you've been focused on, if that's what you've been praying for in this series, that God's going to fix someone else, you are a very, very, very immature Christian. Because one of the sides of you becoming a growing Christian, a maturing Christian, is when you stop focusing on give me, and you stop focusing on allow me, because only God's going to make you happy, not something you do, and you start focusing on search me. In, In other words, you start thinking this way. God, I don't want to know how to fix my spouse. God, I want to know how to fix me. God, I don't want to know how I can fix my kids. I want to be a better parent. But God, what I really want to know is how you can fix me as a parent. I'm telling you, if you want a healed marriage, if you want a healed family, fix yourself. Work on yourself. 
you know? Quit trying to work on another family member. Let God work on that family member. You just work on yourself. You just take yourself on as a project. You fix yourself. See, you're not responsible for anybody else's actions, but you're 100% responsible for your actions and your reaction to them. This is when you know you're growing up. It's when you stop complaining to God. God, did you see what they did to me? And you start saying to God, God, forget what they did to me. Search my heart. Search my response. Search my thoughts. And then you get to the fourth stage. Make me. We start with give me. We move to allow me. We begin to pray, God, no, search me. And then we transition to make me. Make me a servant. Make me a servant to my spouse. Make me a servant to my family. Make me a servant to my kids. Let me show you this stage in Luke chapter 15, verse 19. He comes home, the young man comes home. Father's been looking for him every day because he can't wait for him to come home. The boy's been rehearsing this little speech in his mind that he's going to give to the father. And so he comes back and he says in chapter 15, verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is basically what he was saying. I know I'm your son, but make me a servant. I've never had a servant's heart. Create in me a servant's heart. I'm gonna tell you one of the biggest challenges in our families. There's a lot of us that just refuse to be a servant. Jesus said, you wanna be great? Be a servant. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Can you imagine immediately how the dynamics of our families would begin to shift and change? If we got up every morning and this was our first thought, how can I serve my spouse today? How can I serve my kids today? What if the kids got up and thought, how can I serve my parents today? One of the things that really changed, I'll just be honest with you, in my relationship with my boys was when I quit trying to fix them. And my number one question was, how can I help you? How can I help you? Now, I love this story. You know what the problem is with this story? There's a lot of you good Baptists and Methodist people up there, out there, and this is your thinking, I can't relate to this story at all. I've just never gone prodigal. I've always been so good. I'm so proud of myself. In fact, I'm more proud of me than God's proud of me. I am just a really, really good person. I have never walked on the wild side, right? Well, you got to remember, you're in this story too. Because the father had two sons. And did you know that the same attitude that was in the younger son was also in the older son? The only difference is the older son didn't leave home. In fact, if you're familiar with the story, you know that when the younger son did return home, it's a good ending. The father runs and smothers him with kisses. Jewish men didn't run in those days, by the way. And the boy starts giving his you know, rehearsed speech, and he said, forget that, we're throwing a party. So the dad throws a party, but guess what? The older brother who didn't go prodigal, he, st- he wouldn't go in. I'm not going to that party. Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Oh, man, your brother's come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He was self-righteous. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your order. Well, you know that's a lie. I mean, he's not Jesus. Obviously, it's a lie. I mean, do you have perfect children? Raise your hand if you have perfect children. Please don't raise your hand. I'll throw up right here in front of you. I have actually had to quit following people on social media because everything they post is to give the illusion of my children are so perfect. Like some of my staff, I'm like, delete, delete, delete. I met your child. Delete, 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 right? The soldiers, I've never disobeyed you. I've never done anything wrong. You know, that's a lie. But there's a bigger lie in verse 29. You never gave me even a young goat. Man, you never gave me a young goat. Guys from Fuquay, right? I tell you, your family's from Fuquay, right? Now, let me tell you why that I can, that's a lie. You remember the very first verse we looked at in the story, verse 12? The younger one said to his father, Father, give me, remember he was in stage one, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property. Look, have you ever seen this between them? In other words, he gave the younger son his share of the estate. He gave the older son his share of the estate. And according to Jewish tradition, biblical tradition, being the firstborn, being the oldest, the oldest actually got twice as much as the youngest. In other words, he got two-thirds of his father's estate. The younger son, the one that went prodigal, only got one-third of the father's estate. But he has the audacity to say to his father, you're throwing him a party, you kill the fattened calf, and you've never even given me one goat. And the father's thinking, you're right, my bad. Never gave you a goat. Just gave you two-thirds of the company. Just gave you two-thirds of the family wealth. But I love how the father responds in verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, son, what are you worried about? As long as you're with me, all I have is yours. And, and this is what I think God is trying to tell us through the story of the prodigal son. It's not about what I can give you. It's about the fact that you get to be with me. And when you're with me, everything I have is yours. In other words, I shouldn't have to give you something to make you happy. You ought to be happy just because you're with me. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you get to this place, you're on the road to recovery. You're on the road to restoration. So you've positioned yourself to be blessable. By the way, did you know that the same word translated bless in the Bible, the exact same word in the Greek is translated happy? You ever read the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor? Literally, the word could be happy. Happy are the meek, happy are the poor. But it, the word's blessed. And I mention that because I think some of us feel guilty when God begins to heal and God begins to bless our marriages. And he begins to heal and he begins to bless our families. And it's often because, you know, we just come from such a broken place. We just don't feel worthy. See? Or we don't feel like we, de we, we deserve to be happy. Some people can't, can't be happy. They don't feel like they've ever deserved to be happy. So let me just help you with this. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be blessed. I mean, you nailed it. We're not worthy. But see, this is the thing. We trust in Jesus who is worthy. In other words, the blessing that God bestows on us has nothing to do with us, who we are. It has nothing to do with our performance. It has everything to do with God. 
and the kind of God that he is. Now, just so you know, this hasn't changed from the very beginning. I mean, let's go back to where we all started. Let me show you how it all ties together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, over the creatures, the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them, next three words, let's say them out loud together. Ready? God blessed them. Let me ask you a question. What have Adam and Eve done to deserve to be blessed? They hadn't done anything. They're just standing there in the garden looking at each other, looking at themselves saying, wow, we're created. And God's like, yes, you are. And now I'm going to bless you. And I'm sure Adam and Eve were like, well, don't we, don't we need to do something to deserve being blessed? And God's like, nope. I just want to bless you. Do you know why? It's because God loved them so much that he blessed them without them having to do anything that warranted a blessing. Do you know why? It's because when God looks at us, he sees something in us, think about this now, that reminds him of himself. I mean, after all, we are his preeminent creation, people. We are created in the image of God. We're the only part of God's creation that he created so that we are, have the opportunity to be in a relationship with him. Like in the story of the prodigal, you're with me, See? you're with me. And he blesses us because he loves us regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we haven't done. That was the context in which Adam and Eve were created. And even though they, they totally screwed it up, God's agenda has never changed. See? I mean, just like the father and the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son, God's like, you know what? I don't care how bad you've been. When you're with me, all I have is yours. So quit thinking, why would God want to bless me? and heal my marriage and family. Stop thinking that way. Start thinking, why wouldn't God want to bless me and heal my marriage? Why wouldn't God want to heal my family? I mean, after all, I'm with him. <laughs> and when I'm with him, everything he has is mine. Now, here's the big question. Are you with him? In other words, is he your father? Do you have that relationship with him? Here's another way of putting it. Have you responded to the gospel? Now, you may be wondering if, you, if you're new to church, what's the gospel? Let me just show you what the gospel is, and you can see it so clearly in Acts chapter 2. Jesus ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter, this is the same Peter who just a few days earlier denied that he even knew Jesus. Now with this incredible boldness, he, he steps on a street corner in Jerusalem and he preaches his message. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourself know. Now think about this crowd. There were people listening to Peter that day who could say, I can attest to that. I was blind, but I met Jesus and now I can see. I was mute, but now I can speak. I was deaf, but now I can hear. There's no, I was lame, but I could walk. There's one guy, hey, I had leprosy. My fingers don't fall off into my soup anymore because see, I met Jesus. 
So this is going, I mean, how do you argue with that kind of stuff? My life was radically changed by the touch of Jesus. So Peter continues in verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Hey, listen, the crucifixion wasn't some horrible mistake, you know, just something really gone wrong. It was planned from the very beginning. We saw it at the beginning of this series. When Adam and Eve sinned and they disobeyed God and they tried to cover themselves up with their own work, fig leaves. Remember that? We do the same thing with our religion. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to impress God. I'm going to pray a little bit. I'm going to impress God. I'm going to give a little money to the poor. I'm going to impress God, fig leaves. That didn't impress God. So what did God have to do? He had to kill an animal, skin the animal, and cover them up. And it was, it was that preview. Remember, I called it a preview of a coming attraction that for our sin to be covered up, somebody's going to have to die. This wasn't an accident. The man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, you, I'm talking to you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter's like, you killed him, and you know you did. You know you did. And they couldn't say a word because they knew he was right. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. He says, come on, every one of us have been over to that tomb in that garden, and it's empty. And not only that, some of us, because Jesus hung around for 40 days before he ascended back to heaven, some of you have seen him. Some of us ate with him. Many of you talked to him. You saw him walking around the streets of Jerusalem. You know he died. You saw him. You know he came back to life. And notice the crowd's reaction in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, so what do we do? I mean, if... What you're saying is true. Jesus was the son of God who came to this earth specifically to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose from the dead three days later to verify he was the son of God who was capable of being the savior of the world. And I witnessed it and I know about it. What do I do? And maybe that's what you're asking. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about the cross. I've heard about Easter. So what do I do? Well, look at verse 38. Peter said, well, this is easy. Repent. In other words, stop running from God, and just like in the prodigal son, do a 180 and start running back toward God. Repent says, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm going to do a 180 and go in the right direction. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this phrase, since we're talking about a family series. This promise is for you and your children. This is for all of you. This is for all of you. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty simple. I mean, if you believe that God loves the world so much, John 3, 16, that he gave his only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled back into a relationship with God. Three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he was the son of God. You believe that. In other words, you quit trusting in what you can do, get rid of those fig leaves, and you start trusting in what God has done for you through your son, Jesus Christ. You can be saved. You can be in a relationship with the Father. And God says, oh, why wouldn't I want to bless you? Why wouldn't I want to bless your life, bless your marriage, bless your family? When you're with me, hey, everything I have is yours. I recently came across a video, a news clip, of a story that reminds me a little bit of why God loves us the way he loves us and why he so wants to bless us and our families. 
Watch the side screen. Sunrise over the Phoenix suburbs. Todd and Tara Storch are here to continue the mission they began in March, the day their daughter Taylor, just 13, died in a Colorado ski accident, the day they decided to donate her organs. I don't know, excited is not the correct or right word. The Storchers say they came here because they had to. Their daughter may be deceased, but her heart lives on in the Valley of the Sun. It's the thing that's been on Tara's mind since day one. Hearing Taylor's heartbeat. That's really what I've wanted since the very beginning, is to find who has her heart um, and have a connection with that person. That person is Patricia Winters. Married to Joe, she's a nurse. At age 40, just one year younger than Tara. And they're both now raising two children. Her heart started failing five years ago after the birth of her second son. I felt like I wasn't going to last very long. Um, I was sleeping pretty much 18 hours a day and could hardly really do anything other than lay in bed. It was pretty pathetic. She was too weak to take care of her boys. Taylor's heart lets her be mom again. I, I can't wait till I'm able to hug the person that has her heart. By email, the two moms built a special bond. Tara and, and, and Patricia have been texting and emailing. They had their first conversation. Um, a day or two ago on the phone. Both couples faced the meeting excited, yet nervous. I think it'll be good. I really do. It I, will yeah. be. It'll be tough, but it'll yeah. be good. The Storches finally pull up at Patricia's door. <laughs> the moms hug heart to heart for almost a minute. Then Todd joins them for a minute more. You know, I know this is, we should probably talk, and, but I need to hear her. Patricia retrieves her nurse's stethoscope. This goes around your ears like that. I cleaned it, okay? <laughs> Tell me if you can hear it. It's so strong. She is very strong. I want him to hear It is the sound of life itself. It is Taylor's gift. I am so sorry. And I thank you at the same time. I'm so glad you're good. Isn't that an amazing story? And I wanted you to see that because I'm telling you, in the same way, when you respond to the gospel, when you understand what Jesus did for you, when you understand, you stop trusting in who you are and what you can do, and you start trusting in who Jesus Christ is and what he's already done for you, you get, you're saved. You're in the family. You're restored. And it's as if, if God were to take his stethoscope and hold it your, your chest, he would hear like the heartbeat of his son. He says, you're my child. You're my child. I sacrifice my most prized possession for you. I've forgiven you of all your sin, your past sin, your, your present sin. I've already forgiven you for the sin that you are going 
to commit in the future. There is nothing that can come between you and me. Why wouldn't I want to heal your family? Why wouldn't I want to heal your marriage? This is what I want you to understand as we wrap up the series. God is desperately head over heels in love with you. He has since the fall of Adam and Eve been working his plan to get back in a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. Here's the question. Do you want to be with him? Because it's your choice. It's your choice. Let's bow together. Have you ever responded to the gospel? Have you ever just said, God, I am a sinner. I know that. And God, I, I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that three days later he rose from the dead to prove that he was the savior of the world. And I accept that gift. Let me just lead you in a little prayer. If you've never prayed that prayer, just say, God, just talk to God like you would talk to anyone. God, I realize today how much I need you. And I'm asking you to save me. I acknowledge my sin, but I accept your gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you will accept me with all my past, with all my sin, with all my issues. I pray that you'll forgive me. And I'm telling you, if you pray that simple prayer and it comes from your heart, (laughs) God will embrace you. God will embrace you. You will be his child. And he's with you. And as a result, all that he has is yours. If you prayed that, if you made that decision this weekend, I wrote a little book. It's only 93 pages long. It's called You Can't, God Can. But it will help you move on that journey of understanding the relationship that God has for you. And it looks at some of the most incredible stories in the Bible of people who were some of the biggest screw-ups in the Bible. Adulterers, murderers, you name it, they did it. But how God forgave them and used them to do amazing things in the very same way He's going to do amazing things in your life. Just go by next steps when we finish. They'll be glad to give you one. But we want to know so we can come alongside of you and help you on this journey. God, thank you for loving us. Even while we were sinners, even when we weren't even interested in being in a relationship with you, you made the decision to love us. I pray for those who've made that decision this weekend. May they feel the burden lifted from them. May they go to bed tonight for the first time knowing that their sins have been forgiven. And just like in the story of the prodigal son, even if they came off the rails, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that ever is going to separate them from your love. We thank you for the reminder this weekend of how you love us and how you change lives. And we give you the glory for what you're going to do in the lives of our people. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 